Hello everyone, my name is Marcy Wilder. I'm the web editor for the University Press and today I am joined by... Um, I'm Hannah Shimko. I am the station manager of FAU Owl Radio and happy to be here. I'm Zachary Weinberger, staff writer for the University Press. I'm also happy to be here as well. And welcome to Three Jews in a Room Discuss a Musical. <laughs> Well, today we're going to be talking about um, the musical Falsettos, specifically the, the 2016 revival version. We're going to talk about, um, we're going to try and talk about like um, Taylor Swift and what's happening with her, and then we're going to talk about the, the new WandaVision on today's entertainment podcast. But, um, I'll start off for um, Falsettos. So, Falsettos is a musical that started out as two one-act um, musicals themselves. And the first one was written in the, I think it was around the 70s. And then after the AIDS um, endemic started, then the two writers went back and wrote the second half. And then in the 90s, they put it on Broadway as just one musical called, called Falsettos. And in 2016, it was revived by the same, it was directed by one of the original writers. So there are slight differences between the original Broadway cast and the new Broadway cast. But today we'll be discussing the the um, revival of Broadway cast. So Hannah, I know you listened to it. What, what were your thoughts? Um, okay, so I have not listened to anything in the theater world for who knows how long. I used to be, you know, high school theater. I did some like local town theater and everything. Um, I've seen a lot of Broadway musicals as I was telling Marcy yesterday. Um, and honestly, I haven't heard of it until Marcy brought it up, and I really loved it. I thought it went so deep, and I felt I felt very connected to it because it did have those very deep themes of family and Judaism and, you know, just your identity as a Jewish individual. So I, I really loved it. I thought the music was awesome. The acting was phenomenal. Um, and the writing was also phenomenal. Zach, were you able to listen to a small snippet of it? Or have you just heard me try to get you to listen to it for the past six months now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Marcy has gone try to get me to listen to it. I, it could either be a, I could say that I'm busy, but maybe because I'm late the ladder. Um, <laughs> but I, listen, um, I listened to a snippet of it just to kind of please please Marcy a little bit uh, and from what I've heard uh, it does sound great low-key I am a musical fan you know low key. Um, every time me and my family go up to New York try to catch a show there whether it be we saw Mormons spam a lot um, I, when I was a kid I saw the spider-man Broadway musical <laughs> um, but yeah so and of course movies and television shows and stuff like that so um, but obviously being obviously Jewish myself like we all are here um, it really does connect with me from the little snippet that I've heard in pretty much this past six months. I'm like, maybe I want to hear, that's why I'm excited to be here, so I can hear you guys talk about it, um, so I can finally just make that final breakthrough, so I can finally hear it. So, um, from what I heard, it's pretty excellent. Yeah, um, actually, um, Andrew Rannells, who, who's, who originated the role of Elder Price in Book of Mormon, he plays Wizard in this. So, this mm -hmm. was his return to Broadway after being on Girls for for like a while I even read that he was excited to play this role because he was usually playing like the gay best friend or like the sidekick in this and in this one he got to play a fully like realized gay man who has who goes through quite the arc that has a uh, disappointing ending for him but it was but it's interesting to see also with the fact that he he never had to come out he was always he he was just always gay and and he's always had to, he's always, not had to but he's always played gay characters so this was like a full a fully realized gay character that was an adult for him to play which i found was interesting when i was reading about him talking about it well for the major themes um me and hannah took notes but um the, the major themes in this is specific was judaism because all the characters are all the characters except for like three of them are jewish um there's also the the um, aspect of AIDS that really overtakes the second half of the, uh, the second half of Act Two, and then masculinity and identity. So, uh, Hannah, do you want to start with Judaism? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's kind of go through uh, the, the notes that I was taking while I was watching it. I was watching it like on a daily motion, like recording of the show itself because I'm more of a visual person when it comes to musicals rather than just, you know, listening to the the official uh, Spotify album of the cast. Um, okay, so I mean, just off the bat, like the significance of a bar mitzvah that kind of goes into like the masculinity and identity thing but uh the significance of you know having a bar mitzvah as a young man and how it also the bar mitzvah kind of wiggled its way into into um into what what's the the son's name again i just i'm literally losing it Jason, yeah, 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 Jason, and and his father's relationship throughout the throughout the show itself is it like as well as Jason is ter- is becoming a man, uh, his father is as well, and I just found that kind of interesting when while going through it, especially in the second act. I don't know if you want to comment on yeah, that kind of part. Yeah. So, um, well, to um, I'm, we're gonna spoil it. Here, but basically the second act wizard gets AIDS they never say AIDS because at the time the um, at the time it was written in the because the second act takes place in 1981 so the AIDS so the AIDS endemic just started it hadn't been named yet so they call it like the um, virus with no name and the bad thing that is happening I think that the name that the name of the song which Dr. Charlotte talks about what's happening because she because she's a doctor she says something bad is happening and we don't know what it is so that's so they never actually say the word AIDS, but if but if you're in the audience, you know it's AIDS. So the bar mitzvah, because the entire because the the first I think the first song that like gets into the plot for the second act is called Year of the Child, because all of the adults are surrounding Jason trying to get him ready for his bar mitzvah, and um, that's actually where we, my favorite characters, the lesbians, come in because one of them's a caterer, but he ends up having his bar mitzvah in the hospital with Wizer because he didn't want to leave Wizard out of it. And there's even a line that was added in in the revival, right after he does the um, Hebrew that signifies he was bar mitzvah, he says Abba, which is um, Hebrew for father, and he directs that as Wizard, because even though Marvin's his biological father, Mendel is his stepfather, Wizard's also his father, due to being his mm-hmm. his father's um, boyfriend. And I thought that was a nice inclusion because there, because there's a really good relationship that builds between Jason and Wizard throughout the entire musical, and especially how even the beginning that Jason wants to hear, does Wizard want me to go see a psychiatrist? He doesn't care what his parents say. He wants to hear if Wizard wants him to go see a psychiatrist, <laughs> which leads to a small comedic moment in which both Trina and Marvin force Wizard to tell, say yes, go see a psychiatrist, even though Wizard originally is going to say no. Um, another thing that I wrote down was uh, Lador Vador, or From Generation to Generation, uh, which I kind of, you saw more in the first act when um, when Marvin was going through therapy, and you saw that trauma being passed down to Jason, like, in real time, like, between, I mean, you could see Jason in the background while his father's getting therapy, yeah, and, and that whole... That's part three yes. of the three-part mini-opera of therapy. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I really enjoyed that. I, I just thought it was... I, I read an article that kind of pointed out that that piece, and I just thought it was, like, very... It's, it's very subtle, but it's a very big part of Jewish tradition, is that whole generation to generation. And... But the thing is, that also crosses the line to generational trauma and generational and issues like being passed down to your children um and then you also you highlighted the the song my father's a homo (laughs) if you want to elaborate on that (laughs) song titles of all time but um my father's homo takes place right after marvin at the psychiatrist a three-part mini opera another amazing song title um in which jason talks about how he doesn't know how to feel that his father is gay, and, like, what if he becomes gay? What if, and, it, and it's not more about, like, what if he becomes gay? It's because being, Marvin being gay has caused him so many issues throughout his life. 
so he doesn't want to have all those issues. And one of the funniest lines is that my father said I could grow up to be president. That idea is not so wild. And, well, when the original, when the second act was originally being written, it was during the Reagan era, which leads to a funny thing in which Andrew Randalls gets to punch a pop-up balloon of Nancy Reagan in the face. <laughs> which is very nice because the Reagans really ignored what was happening in the gay community. So, and since they revived it in 2016, that the, the revival went on right, right when Trump was being elected president. So it was, so it's, it's, it's still a funny wink to the audience that like that idea is not so wild that Jason could be president one day, but he's more worried about gaining all of his father's problems. And that's one of the things that he talks to Mendel about in the, uh, in the um, song, Jason's therapy, which is connected to please come to our house. Another funny song. And, and I think we, there's like, we can get into the argument of, is Mendel a good psychiatrist? But the one thing he does get right is that in, in the therapy, he, and while he's talking to Jason, he treats Jason like a child. Because the entire musical, um, Marvin is treating him like a, an, an adult. And Trina is trying to treat him like an adult because they, need, because they're, they have a very unstable family relationship. But then Mendel comes in, which works into the, how Mendel becomes a stepfather later. But he says, hey, if you feel all right for 10 minutes, you can feel all right for 20 minutes. This, your parents' problems are not your problems, and you don't have to worry about it. Which I think is very important. And just the crazy idea of, like, let's treat the child like a child. Which, be, which I think um, comes to, like, the recollection at the end of Act 1 with the song Father to Son, in which um, Marvin acknowledges that Jason is a child. And he says, you will be a man, but you're not a man yet, and that's okay. I guess we can get into okay. the whole being a man part. Um, I'm just I'm gonna touch on the last bullet before we do that, but yeah, that's good. That's a good segue in. Um, I just want to touch kind of on the the part, the agnostic atheist part that you kind of pointed out. Um, this is gonna be the last bullet point for the Judaism part. Um, so a lot of judaism itself is the questioning of god and there's a whole song about it in the second act which i really like thought connected a lot with me even though the themes like that were happening during it you know like i'm not crying over a, a hospital bed but they were questioning like is god real and if he was like can he do something or they do can they do something you know and that's i mean a lot of what's written in like the talmud and what's discussed between rabbis in like a lot today is is god real is there an actual higher being and i just thought that was just a very interesting point and i'm i'm very happy that it did touch on that in the um was it um another uh, another miracle of judaism where jason is talking to god um it's when they are all like over the bed and yes 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 yeah i just thought that was like just such a good point because that's something that's not very talked about within judaism and it's not very known by by the public that that's like a very huge part of what makes us who we are and why and how it's 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 very essential in Judaism to question the existence of a higher being and not just take it because a lot of i mean Judaism is mostly just value yeah. and how we walk about the earth with ourselves and you know tikkun olam repair the world and question things i just thought that was a nice little point but yeah we could go into the masculinity and identity portion so um zach to let you know like the um or i guess we could start because i feel like chess is a very good metaphor where they use Mm -hmm. um in the musical they use chess as the idea of becoming a man is being able to win at chess and that is um, what causes, well, it's not exactly what causes Mar- Marvin and Wizard to break up in the first act, but the song is called The Chess Game, in which they're playing chess together, and Marvin gets frustrated because Wizard wins. Because Marvin, in his being, being raised heteronormatively, has to see himself as the winner, of, has to see himself as the king and be the leader, which comes into a nice little reverse later in which um, 
they start addressing Wizard as the king in chess. And there's a joke in um a song in the song I'm breaking down that Chenna makes how Marvin's a queen, and it, and there was a nice little metaphor about how if Marvin's the queen, then Wizard's the king. They um they have to be together, and they put the um they put the king chess. Jason puts the king chess piece on Wizard's grave at the end of the musical, which is a power. Wizard dies. Surprise. Um, which is a powerful moment, but chess is used throughout the musical, and like Jason plays chess alone, but then by the end of the musical, he's playing chess with Wizard, and it's charting their relationships. And I think even the in the song of March of the Falsettos, they kind of are dressed as like pawns. That might be a very big reach, but mm-hmm. they are, but they are kind of dre- they are kind of dressed that way and are treated as not men yet until the end mm-hmm. of the musical, where they become men through the course of the journey they experience. Yeah, I, I, okay, that, yeah, that kind of clears it up for me, because I was, like, writing comments on our doc, yeah. if you saw. <laughs> um, what else? We already kind of talked about the father-son relationships going through it, and how Jason connects with every, with every male figure in this uh, show, and how they all kind of teach him a different part about his identity which I thought was really beautiful. Um, And then I also highlighted, like, what would they do for love? What are the sacrifices that they are going to give to to help Jason understand himself and his identity? And then I said, like, this is not a hero's journey. This is reality. Maturity is needed to raise a child and and as well be a better partner for Wizard. I was obviously pointed that at Marvin, but um, I just felt that throughout the entire show itself. Marvin has an amazing character arc. Mm-hmm. And it's super well written. He starts out as an absolutely appalling human being, and but, but by the end of the musical, he is a fulfilling partner for Wizard, which is why it really sucks. And I guess that's there to hammer home how terrible AIDS was, but that he loses Wizard when being with Wizard made him a better per- person and a better father for... Jason and he even um, comments in the song what would I do is that you were the only one my son would allow and Jason's opinion is clearly highly valued by Marvin and in this in a, in the song um, before you're the child um, I think it's called like welcome back to falsetto land or something and he says all I want to be is my son who's 12 and a half <laughs> because in his head that his son is more mature than he is though by the end of the musical he becomes that that father figure and it's even remarked on in Jason's bar mitzvah he Jason almost looks like Marvin now or is it a comment that Marvin has become a man himself while watching his son become one also Mm. Marvin rocks the I was raised straight hoodie that was used in um (laughs) that was used in um if you look at photos of the of Marvin from both musicals they're both always wearing this like terrible gray hoodie (laughs) <laughs> and people call it the I was raised straight and I don't know how to be a gay man hoodie. Yeah, heteronormative, heteronormativity. Hooray! We love that. Um, okay, so I'm going to do one point on the AIDS um, theme. And then I have just one question afterwards. All right, so for AIDS, why a play like this over something like Rent? It has a plot. Okay, so I have a question. Now. You- <laughs> I actually have a question now. Because from hearing this conversation, uh, Rent and this one I'm hearing right now, it seems like at the backdrop or at really at the forefront that aid is a huge topic there. That was gonna be my question, was just like how does that compare to Rent? You're saying it doesn't have a plot. I wanna hear an elaboration <laughs> on that. So I have seen Rent or seen slash listen to Rent three times. I have no idea what happens. I know Angel dies, there's lesbians, and that's all I know. That's all I know. Um, and maybe I heard, because um, there was a Rent touring show that came through the Dr. Phillips Center in Orlando. We watched it, and it was my first time ever seeing Rent. I had no idea what was happening. And I heard for, later from people that actually really love, love Rent that that was a terrible performance because they were clearly playing to the audience. Because you know these characters by now. We can have fun with it. But then there was me sitting there going... <laughs> what is happening but I like that 
Yeah, it does make sense that fall. It does make sense when you put it in the context that the falsettos, the first half was not was written before AIDS happened. But I, but I feel like it takes the here we set up a family, and that makes it so tragic when AIDS does happen, and it takes away a vital part of their tight knit family, which is Wizard. Mm-hmm. Which I think is because I think in Rent, if I'm right, AIDS has already happened. By the time rent is the the plot of rent hap starts, there's already people already are have, it, mm-hmm. or, yeah. So you yeah. get to we don't get to in rent we don't get to see how we see the aftermath of how it's affected people, but in falsettos we're watching it happen in real time. Which is if you um, you might have read this Hannah, but like a lot of people called the show is like you will walk in laughing and you'll walk out crying. And there was even questions to the cast. It's like, how do you, how are you still able to perform when you hear the audience openly weeping throughout the entirety of the second act? And um, I, I read experiences of people in movie theaters when they're sitting there and there's like a, there's like a 50, uh, 50 year old like, gay couple in front of them that like start crying because they, because like they met, they knew those people that died and nothing, and nothing could have, could, nothing could have happened. Which is why I think it sucks. This musical lost the Hello Dolly for best revival. That is a crime. It is an absolute crime. And, and it just, and, and this isn't a show that's going to be revived all the, the like, Rent is going to keep getting revived until the sun blows up, but this show is not going to be as revived as often. And I think it's just as or more important than Rent because we get to watch, we get to, we get to watch the, how terrible it was happen in real time instead of, just, instead of just the aftermath. And, of course, with the great character arcs. And they have a lesbian doctor. Does Rent have a lesbian doctor? No, they don't. What did it lose to, by the way? It um well the revival um it was it was nominated for best um, revival of a musical. It lost to Hello Dolly. Though um, I can look, I'm gonna look it up. But uh, the original musical won a, won a couple of Tonys. It won um it won it won best book of a musical and best original score at the Tony Awards. So why the, so why the staying power then of Rent compared to a, a you know, musical like this one? You know what's the difference? Why is it so much more popular? I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah, well, maybe it's like you, know you said, like you know, maybe you st- I <laughs> I don't know. Well, maybe it's like you guys said. I mean, when Marcy was pointing out that maybe that the rent is like you said it's like it's either during or the aftermath of the whole aids sort of like craze at the time so maybe that kind of connected with people a little bit more like you were saying about the the gay couple that was just crying out of the theater and and stuff like that so maybe it just connected a little bit more um and maybe didn't the the writer of rent die right after it was written or is that another show i'll look it up but i swear i heard that uh hannah what you were gonna say um oh my god what was i gonna say oh okay oh i know why so i think it's just because the nicheness of judaism i i really honestly think that's why because i mean like all of these value like every is very very oh like, he did die public, the same year you know? that rent came out so. oh yeah yeah. So, like, the themes of AIDS and masculinity, I mean, that's all in Rent, but, like, the nicheness of Judaism in a show, you know. Also, I think it's the fact that there's a child character. Yeah. Yeah, that too. And we. Like, and I, I thought that was just very... I just thought that was very interesting also, because you just, you never really get that perspective of, like, of the AIDS epidemic like affecting families like you know with children and everything i don't know it was a very moving musical but i have one more question for you marcy okay um why this 2016 version over like the 1992 version um one answer maybe i've never listened to the 1992 version (laughs) so that might be it um (laughs) the other answer would be so I had never seen a Broadway show. It was um, the re- the professional recording of Falsettos was going around in movie theaters. So this was my first. So I'd already seen like shows happening in like various theaters in Orlando, but like never like a traveling Broadway show or just a filming of a Broadway show. So this was, and I think it was in 2016 or 2017. 
this was like my first Broadway show that I saw and I knew nothing about it. And I, I remember I was wearing waterproof mascara because they told me to. Though, because I'm um, one, <laughs> they told me, it's like, you're probably going to want to wear some of that if you're going to wear makeup to the show tonight. Um, they did you so dirty. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and they were right. I was openly sobbing like the entire second half when I realized what was happening, but I had no, I, I had no idea what I was walking into. So it was kind of just like a mind blower when I was watching a, I was watching first people just being gay in a musical and it being just a given fact other than, other than like a coming out story. Like Marvin is already out. Wizard's already out. The lesbians literally enter saying it's a lesbian from next door. I, I can send you guys the photo, but in the script it says doorbell enter lesbians, which I find absolutely hilarious. Um, but it was just, one, it was just gay people being gay. Um, Judaism, that really reflected how I felt about Judaism, because I was raised more Jewish than Jewish. So the, I think the song of um, Another Miracle from Judaism, in which Jason is singing to God, saying, are you, can you, um, I don't hear your finger snapping, can you make, can, my, my father figure is dying, can you, what can you do to stop that? And of course he still dies. And that it was just my first Broadway musical, and it just blew my mind when I was, I think, 15 or 16. So, and I, I mean, I I'm probably that. going to listen to the original. It was just that this one, it just had so much more staying powder, power. And also, Stephanie J. Block, she's a goddess. Zach, she, she's amazing. She, her big song, I'm Breaking Down in Act One, she finishes it with a half-eaten banana in her mouth, holding a knife, <laughs> belting her lungs out. Well, now I gotta watch it. I mean, now I don't even need to. I need to. I can't listen to it. I have to watch it now. I mean, I sent the link in in our group chat. Don't even worry about it, Zach. Cool, nice. Um, I also have to note that I did say see Stephanie J. Block as Alphaba in oh Wicked uh, in two thousand whatever. My sister confirmed it last night because I was like, I was like, I think we saw it right after Adina Menzel like left the left the tour of it or whatever. And so I was like, I was like, I think it might have been Stephanie J. Block. And if it is, this is fantastic. This works perfectly. <laughs> yeah, I and it did. I love her. I also really like her song, um, Holding to the Ground, in Act 2. Because, mm-hmm. it do- because it really encapsulates, well, and at least in Act 1, she's the only female character in Act 1. And in Act 2, there's the lesbians. But it really encapsulates her journey of, like, she doesn't, first she didn't understand why her husband left her for a guy. And now her husband's guy friend is dying and she's sad about it, even though she was raised, and I think she says, I was raised very middle class, very Jewish, and very straight. And how she, and now she's being encapsulated via her, via her ex-husband into the LGBTQ world and how she's accepting it. And how she's holding to the ground, even though it keeps changing and how her personal beliefs have to shift along with it. And I think that's a very, it's a very nice, quiet character moment. And it's also backdropped by the int- the set is made out of building blocks until that song, in which real, like until like an actual hospital bed is rolled out, which is kind of like a oh my goodness, this just got real moment. Disney and it's like we're no longer in falsetto land where this is the real world and someone is dying. That's like that subtle character um, outfit because um we basically get like the reveal that Wizard is sick through racquetball. Because they have a racquetball scene earlier, and he's wearing very tight clothes. But then when he comes back for the second racquetball scene, he's wearing very loose clothes, which is subtle. And I also like the subtlety of um, when Wizard comes out after dying, he's wearing a white version of the shirt he wore in um, Act 1, which is like a light green shirt. I also like his style, which is the part that they harp on. It's like, he doesn't share my devotion to style. And he's wearing just a, a, green, a, a pale green shirt and khakis. It's very funny. This musical is this musical is surprisingly hilarious, while also being it extremely is. tragic, and it's hard to pull off that balance. But I think they pull it off perfectly. It is um, okay. So I'm just gonna wrap it up by saying I love also that Keith Haring made the original um, logo for the show itself, yes. which is really amazing. I saw that when I was like Wikipedia-ing. And I was like, that's so fun. Um, but yeah, I think this is a good stopping point for this section. I thank you, Marcy, for opening 
my eyes and hopefully zach you will get a chance to watch this i think six months i think you'll really like it i think you'll really like it zach if i'm gonna be real honest with you (laughs) and and now you'll be ready get you'll now you'll be ready with the tissues oh right Mm -hmm. absolutely wait did you cry hannah (laughs) Um, I was on the verge of tears. I was in my office today watching the like the last bit of it, and I was like making sure Adiel didn't uh, see me see me shedding some <laughs> tears at my desk. <laughs> You'd walk and be like, Hannah, what's wrong? <laughs> yeah, Flunky, what's wrong? <laughs> Shimko, yeah. Shimko. <laughs> All right, so I guess that will segue into our next segment. Um, we're going to be talking about Miss T Swift, Miss T Swizzle herself. <laughs> um, as everybody may know, uh, her masters were sold for $300 million to Shamrock Holding, which is like an investment firm, I read, um, after being held hostage by Scooter Braun, who bought out Taylor's old record label, Big Machine Records. Uh, this is old news. Um, on although Shamrock now has control over like where her old masters could go, um, I get like commercially. Uh, Taylor still has writing masters, so she is now uh, creating Taylor's versions um, of her first six and albums. re yep re releasing and re records of her. Of all of her old records before, um, before what is it? Before lover, before yes, before lover. Was lover. The first one she owns. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. She's um, adding um, Republic, right? Yeah, Republic. I think she's on Republic now. And she's adding songs that were originally going to be re- were that were originally going to be included in the original albums, but was was talked out of it, where the record label said no. But I just think it's it's great that she's being able to own her own music and at the same time bankrupt evil men. Mm-hmm. Just very girl boss. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag girl boss. <laughs> so let's just talk about the Taylor part first. Um, why do you think she's releasing Fearless first? That's not the first in her catalog, but why do you think it's the first one out? I will say I am a later Taylor Swift fan. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just enjoy. I enjoyed her radio hits. But I didn't like go out and like buy any of her albums. I didn't go out and listen to any to her albums. I think the first one I went to go like I went to go. I'm gonna sit down and listen to it, and I, then I never finished it. Was um, Reputation. But then, especially when but then when Lover came out, I'm like okay, I'm gonna sit down and listen to it. And then I became a full blown um, Swifty when um, she replaced when she released Folklore. And then I got extra excited over whenever more was released. But I think she's starting with Fearless. Um, one because the song she released first was Love Story. And the lines start with, we were both young when I first saw you, which connects to how she released that song when she was 19, and now she's 31, so they, and, it, and, the, and the music video for the re-recording is a love letter to her fans, and it's showing old, um, old, promote, old photos from when she was promoting the album with fans and old um, concert footage, but I also think that with, she's controlling her own narrative now with Fearless. And, and I think, and she wrote in her letter, like, this is when, this is when I came into who I was, was when writing this album and performing this album. So I think that's why she started with that one over, over Taylor mm-hmm. Swift. Though I did see theories that she was going to start with the debut album. So that would be like 10 would be 01 and 11 would be two. Um, but I, I do think that it's a, it, it's also a way for her to wake up every day and choose chaos. So we don't know what next song is coming out anymore. Because if she were starting oh, with Taylor we, Swift, we'd, um, we would automatically assume, okay, next will be Fearless, and then after that will be Red, if I have the... Mm-hmm. No, speak now, before Red. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. But now, she we're fully in the element of surprise again, which I think really helped Folklore and Evermore when those came out. Even though now we know what to expect Fearless, but then it'll be a surprise for what we get next, and now even like what songs will be singles next. Because I think this also gives the opportunity for fan favorites from the original albums that were never singles become singles now mm-hmm. i've seen theories up the wazoo there's like <laughs> a whole like q for taylor swift on tiktok it's like insane <laughs> zach i see your face 
it is like unreal like the type of theories that these people come up with and they're like connecting dates and connecting like all of these very intricate dots and I'm honestly terrified by the Swifties but I'm extremely excited for all of these re-recordings because I thought like the love story re-recording was amazing out of this world it was so raw Mm -hmm. and like you could really feel like her growth as an artist and like the the change in her voice is just like it's like she's not a little girl anymore she is a an adult and she's ready for some business hashtag girl boss (laughs) i also read that when you're when you get into your 30s that's when your voice has fully matured so i think that's going to help enhance the original album because i believe just by the way like the love story was redone she's just going to do her original songs but better and not going to do any ma- massive changes and to make her, the um, ma- her original masters obsolete until she can own them. I'm, I'm, I know it'll happen. I, re- I, re- I see it in the stars that one day she will own her original masters. But, um, at, but I think that because she is in her full prime as a, in her full, full, full vocal prime now, that all of the original music will sound better just by the fact that her voice has matured. Are you mm-hmm. excited, Zach? here's my thing with taylor swift right is that i have been following more so the the record stuff rather than her personal career like obviously throughout the years i've, I've listened to some of her stuff i think i listened to folklore just because of how popular it was at the time and i had to check it out and it was pretty good she's obviously not my cup of tea but i'm more so happy that she's getting that creative freedom that you guys were talking about because obviously that's been a topic of discussion in, in every single medium whether it be movies when directors kind of get their vision kind of you know, messed up with, and the same thing with music, obviously with Taylor Swift, so uh, I'm just, I'm willing to check it out solely because to support her coming out of this whole, you know, hostage situation, um, so, so hearing about it from you two, obviously, I mean, I'm not a Swifty, um, I, I don't know if I'll ever become a Swifty, may, I don't know, but, um, I, I'm glad that she's finally getting that sort of stuff done, and hopefully, when is that coming out, these, uh, re, you know, re-recordings and stuff? Um, April 9th. Okay. Mm-hmm. If the yeah. in in the um in the letter she capitalized certain words and it spelled out April 9th, so I'm ninety nine percent sure that is wow. Okay. Once again, QAnon for Taylor <laughs> Swift. <laughs> but let's uh let's kind of get into the non Taylor Swift part, more of a part that Zach could talk about, uh, which is the ownership of masters and the ownership of of like the artist's music. Um. The industry is incredibly predatory towards these young artists that, you know, they just want to break into the industry. They just want to get that record deal, but they end up being stuck in these contracts that like that like asphyxiate them practically and then never let them go. And then even when they are let go, they have no rights to the music that they created and that they could personally market off of them. It's all the label. Um, some other artists I wrote down that own their labels. Uh, we have Prince, uh, Frank Ocean, Rihanna. Um, and then I put one quote from Joni Mitchell from one of her like Joni Mitchell anthology books. I'm obsessed. I'll show you my Joni Mitchell collection one day. But um, she credits her husband, Chuck Mitchell, with his persistence when they were together and she was starting her music career that he wanted her to own her her masters and she to this day is very grateful um to be able to own her music and you know uh market herself and profit off of herself uh do you guys have anything else that you want to say about the predatory music industry it's or hashtag girl boss. It is predatory. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, no, I can't help but, you know, pick up the similarities. If you guys remember, obviously it was a huge meme at the time, but that song Friday by Rebecca Black. I couldn't help but go back to that just because um, that I, I'm forgetting the man's name. But, we, but there was these string of music videos not only involving Rebecca Black, but these other... Um, teenage artist Jenna Rose, my jeans. Yeah, where, like, <laughs> where this one man appears in every single music video, and, like people are like, "Who is this guy?" It was actually the guy behind everything, but apparently the guy was 
not the nicest, obviously, because, again, he would take advantage of these young teenage girls to get profit off of it and not even, you know, su supersede their careers, like it happened with Rebecca Black. And, obviously, she's recovering pretty well, so that's great to hear. Um, but I can't help to pick up, pick up the similarities. And, obviously, we still live in that sort of world where, like, that happens in every single sort of medium where, like, you know, the creative freedom is only brought up to only people that are like the top of the top like you mentioned the names like rihanna and just you know just to name a few so it's good i'm surprised that it's finally that taylor swift is finally getting that sort of creative freedom and i'm um hopefully that's it sets a precedent but i hate to be the skepticist but i just think that it's going to continue uh, and only like the bigger artists need to really put more of a um put, need to put more accountability to people like that so um, it's a good first step, obviously, for sure, um, but it definitely needs to be better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also, I'd like to wish um, Swifties a very merry Kim Kardashian and Kanye West are divorcing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she officially put in those divorce papers. Kim Ye is no more. I can care less. No, but seriously, um... <laughs> I, I, I was really, the drama. I, I was reading some like I think it was like an XXL headline or just one of those things that said that like, Kanye's not taking it well. I'm like, I, mean, I don't know. I don't, even, I don't even know what to say. Um, <laughs> they doctored phone calls to make it look like Taylor Swift was a liar and got her canceled for no reason. They deserve everything bad happening to them. I'll come back to regret those words later. <laughs> Probably not. But I'm happy. I don't know why I'm happy <laughs> I love someone getting a divorce, but I hope their children are well. They probably don't deserve this, but mm -mm. good for her. I agree. Uh, I mean, look at Kanye. Agreed. Okay. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> three Jews make fun of Kanye West. <laughs> we love this. Oh, man. <laughs> this is iconic. Hashtag girl boss. Hashtag girl boss. Do, do the hashtag fingers, Zach. Come on. Girl <laughs> I'm going to make that the thumbnail. Uh, <laughs> Good. <laughs> All right. Now, Zach, would you like to introduce us to the woman, the myth, the legend, Wanda Maximoff? Okay. So Who's also Jewish in the comics. Woo! Correct. Um, I hate to spoil this, obviously, this past episode for Hannah, so... Um, but we're going to be talking about it. Obviously, the new episode, episode 7 of WandaVision, came out uh, literally today. Um, and pretty much this, the reports came out that this was the start of the cinematic sort of ending these last three episodes for WandaVision. Um, and they're going to be an hour long. This was not an hour long. This was just, I think, about like 38 minutes. Um, but obviously, coming off of the last episode, we're pretty much uh, Miss Maximoff pretty much expanded the whole the hex to where like just you know get, getting people back into there so I, I had a couple talking points because listen um i am a criticizer of the mcu and just marvel in general marcy knows more than than anybody else probably um, we've had enough arguments about the ending of man of steel brilliant movie by the way context, um it is not brilliant movie but we no. get back to one division um that's you know Marcy said that it was a game-changing episode, um, and I'll, I'll yeah. give you my thoughts a little bit later, but Marcy, I, I, I take the floor on why you think this was a game-changing episode. Well, first, to spoil the one thing, Hannah, it is Agatha Harkness. Oh my god! Ah! <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I knew it! It confirmed I was literally going to say it. And she has an entire villain theme song about how, and it's called It Was Agatha All Along. And they show a scene from earlier with her using her magic to mess up everything. And oh it was, God. and I'm an, I, there was another thing I wrote down, but um, that was a proper plot twist. Yes, the entire internet was like, that must be Agatha Harkness, like the whole time. But it, they didn't try to make it seem like, oh, no, it wasn't. Or, oh, that wasn't what we were going for. But they just confirmed it. And it was still a plot twist in the best way. Especially because we, we have, like, everyone had, like, their suspicions, like, a Agnes is Agatha Harkness, but the co confirmation of it garnered that reaction out of Hannah, so, and it was just, it was, it was just beautiful, and especially doing the villain theme song was fantastic, and we need, and I want that to happen in every single MCU movie going forward, 
if we're allowed to have funny <laughs> Zach is facepalming, but if we're allowed to have quippy funny heroes, I want quippy funny villains. That is where Batman gets its strength, because he has ridiculous villains, but he's also a ridiculous hero. Um, but it was, it was just beautiful to watch unfold. And especially, I think, the um, actress, she's been having fun the whole season, I could just tell by I could just tell from just like her energy coming off the screen how much fun she was having and I'm just so excited to see one I want a good female villain we don't get those often the either we, and especially female villains that have fun like um if you guys have watched the Umbrella Academy um I feel like only the handler gets to have like a bit of fun but like Chacha she's just stone cold and she doesn't there's not even a chance for her to like even get a redemption arc which a lot of male villains have, but in this one, she's going to be, she writes evil every day on her calendar, and she's having fun, and I am so excited to see <laughs> where, um, that's my cup of tea, you write evil every day, that's the, it's the, the Dr. Doofenshmirtz villain, um, <laughs> hashtag girl so boss, um, yes, she's a hashtag girl boss, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> listen, the relationship between her and Amanda at this point, and especially what turn, what, what turn is it going to take, we don't know, yeah, I think that's the, the the beauty of the show is that to me, like I sorry to plug my university press review of the first couple episodes, but <laughs> I I pretty much said in that review saying that you know the MCU is at a stage right now where they could be creative with their projects, which I feel like in the past they've been they've been playing it very safe. I've always described it that it's like an assembly line; they just do a formulaic movies kind of time and time again. But WandaVision has been a nice breath of fresh air into the MCU, especially with what's going on. And I'm so happy that Elizabeth Olsen is finally getting some shine because usually in these past movies she's just very underutilized, and it's just it's very frustrating to see. But she is shining in this episode um, and the whole series. I'm not even going to mention her in the old Scarlet Witch costume. These two know already how I feel about that. Um, <laughs> No, but she's brilliant, and Paul Bettany's vision is great as well. Um, but again, it's that hard, and the fan theories were up the wazoo going into this episode, saying, who's behind this? Is it just because she's grieving over vision? She created this whole thing. Who is the big bad behind this? Um, and to me, when Katherine Hahn got casted into the show, for, and when I first heard that news, I was saying to myself, she's going to play a big role, um, and this pretty much confirmed it. I was laughing the whole way through through that villain theme song at the end. It was great. And um, I killed Sparky, too. Yeah. but she says I, that. I, from what I'm seeing, though, you know, and again, I kind of put this a little bit later, like, but do I think it's game-changing? Um, I don't know. I was, I said that more of, like, a, as, a, like, a game-changer episode of the series. Okay. No, that makes sense. And, and, like, I think the whole series itself is definitely a game-changing to, like, what MCU is, what the MCU is doing. But, um, like, we've never seen anything like this before, even coming out of the MCU or just the, just what it's garnering out of the audience, especially, like, Hannah, you talked about, like, the, the theories mm -hmm. of the wazoo, so many theories, but I feel like this episode was the turning point to the, um, going from, because we had those hints, and I think, like, episode four, when they, when they took us out of the hex and to, like, what was happening in the real world, but this, I think, is, like, the big twist that is going to make people are upset after last week episodes they felt like it was too short and or where we did where they didn't give us enough but this one they gave us just enough to where it's so now we cannot wait until next week and especially i want to see where they're going to take the twins because i looked up like where the what the twins were doing in the comics and um wiccan who i'm pretty sure is billy he is he is part of the lgbtq community so, are we going to have our first LGBTQ hero? Because there is the new Avengers in which um, Wiccan and in which um, Tommy and Billy are like are in the in the comic books. So, therefore, are we going to get our first LGBTQ hero? So that's what makes me very curious about the twins themselves. And the whole theory is that the twins are the first mutants in this world because our because the MCU does not have mutants yet. And I think this episode confirmed one of my theories that I told um, you, Zach, that, um, that it isn't actually Peter Maximoff from the X-Men movies. It was just that, um, now we know that Ag Agatha, she saw that, oh, this guy in a different universe, Peter Maximoff looks like this. So that will superiorly confuse her. And now, and that they're just using the likeness, and of course, for the audience, we know that, like, oh, that's the same actor. 
So I think that's what, and it was more of like a wink to the audience that they have Evan Peters back, but I don't think that's actually Peter Maximoff from the X-Men movies. It was more of a wink to the audience. You know, I, here's why I hope that's that's wrong. It's just because Marvel, they said in the in the second Doctor Strange movie that Wanda Maximoff is actually going to be in, that they're going to yeah. be expanding this multiverse, that there's other universes out there that can that could be taking these characters. So I'm hoping that it is. I'm hoping that, you know, Agatha Harkness did take the Quicksilver from that universe, put him in here so that, you know, because obviously the other one's dead there. Um, but there was also a post credit scene in this episode, the first one yes. in the series. Uh, a quick little thing, but it was uh, Monica Rambeau, who got her powers. Good stuff. She got her powers! She's Photon! Good stuff. Uh, she kind of opened up the basement and saw kind of like the the underworlds of kind of like what Agatha Harkness is doing. And who pops up behind her? It's actually Quicksilver. What did he say? Like, Snooper's gonna snoop? Something like that. Yeah. Something um, like that. So he's maybe, you know, with Harkness, we'll see. Um, but the show was heading did, in a really good direction. show that she was manipulating him. Yeah. Exactly. In the, um, song, and that he had the because her magic is purple, so he had like the purple sparks coming off of him. So I gotta say something real quick about that because not even that because that because again the fan theories because uh, Monica Rambo once mentioned like an aerospace engineer that would have a lot of fun or something that's coming to the show and stuff, and people are saying, oh my God, we're gonna see Reed Richards, we're gonna see all these awesome characters, Galactus is gonna be in here, and then Agatha the Harkness gets revealed. And then people are just going to be like, oh, disappointing. Like, you disappointed yourself. Like, let's be real yeah. here. Um, I see it as, like, Reed Richards was going to show up. I felt like that was just... I feel, I think the um, woman that brings, like, the little um, truck that, that they try to send uh, Monica Rambo into it for, with, um, I feel like that was just, like, an aerospace engineer. And maybe it's another Marvel character we just haven't met yet. But well, that, didn't, that didn't even, like, stick as, like, a thing in my head. It just went, went, whoop, understood. Well, yeah, again, like, to me, I'm not... Ex- listen... Well, having your expectations that high that a member like by the way I just have no I do not believe that Reed Richards is out there we, we've watched 27 movies in this whole universe six shows and stuff like that and then now he was like oh by the way I'm here I'm, I'm I can stretch far no of course not <laughs> of course not um but it, it, the show has been just great um it was a I thought this ended this show this episode ended very quickly I thought I was just like oh it's over and then there was you know um a good thing to end on the 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 theme song, which is in my head every single moment, you know, when they you guys are talking. Yeah. They better release it. It'll oh. get so many f- views on Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your music. Oh, they have to. H- Hannah, I want to ask you a question because I know you haven't seen yes. this last episode, but as the show as a whole, what, do you, what, what what's your thoughts? Um. Okay, so I'm not very into Marvel, if I'm going to be completely honest with you. Like, I know, like, all of the stuff like that's kind of going on because dakota makes me watch those like youtube summaries (laughs) he's like wait this will explain it to you (laughs) blah 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 and i'm like oh my god okay fine so i'm very much aware of like what's going on and like all the crossovers and like everything that's going on and crazy and like the comic book like original whole story so i'm very much aware of that but i am obsessed like i became obsessed with this show like even before i knew everything like, all of that stuff, because I just think it's so well-written. And, like, to the research that they did to get these decades down of, of sitcoms is just amazing. Like, I found myself so intrigued by, like, even a bowl on a table. You're like, yeah, that's from the 70s. <laughs> that's very accurate. Like, it's insane to me. And honestly, you could probably tell from my tweets, like when I watch them, you both see them. When I'm just, I, I'm just yelling, two broke girls and like uh, Danny Chung from Veep. Like, because honestly, I don't really know who they are in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I just know that I love them. And then, and then obviously my, my, if Wanda bad, why MILF? <laughs> type type attitude that I kind of have going in but I really love this show I think it's just like it's such a good outreach to maybe people that aren't that into Marvel because it's just so accessible as as a a precursor to the rest of the of the Marvel Cinematic Universe like maybe people that watch it will go back and watch all of the movie movies and tv shows what happened Marissa? i did not say that my nose <laughs> my nose did that okay 
ma'am. Yeah, I remember my mom called me. I think it was um, after the third episode came out. Because I, I hadn't watched any of them yet. And she was like, Marcy, you have to watch this. Specifically talking about, like, the homages to, like, the 50s and 60s. Because she's like, the... She's like, this is the Honeymooners, that I, which was a show that she watched as a kid. She's like, oh, she's like, you have to watch this because it's exactly like the shows that I watched as a kid, and the attention to detail is so great. And she was, and she was also, she's a, um, she's a professional stage manager, so I can send it to you guys. But she had on her one of her stage management um, Facebook groups, someone had sent the lighting plot for the '50s um, house set in WandaVision, and it was very interesting to see how they like placed the lights. Especially, it was and it was an actual professional document to see how they placed the lights. But the attention, the detail, even there, was insane. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think we. Um, that's why I think it. It was definitely. Um, I definitely agree because I watched. I didn't start watching it until the third episode came out because because we know that the um, they started with two and then they went then the, then the one a week. I think they should have released all three because that definitely hooked me in. And I'm not sure if I would have been as hooked in if I'd only just watched the first two. But I can definitely see what they were going for, and I do think the weird Modern Family thing they did this episode, it was weird, and it was weirdly it was it was weird how familiar it was because at least with the um, with like the first three episodes, those are specifically for an era that at least people our age we don't understand because we weren't didn't live there for, and that's why it was more exciting to my mom that it was the fifties than it was for me, but um. In this episode, it really ramped up the weirdness, and that's I like how they started old when it was still like a sitcom show, and then as it's as it's we've become more modern, it's gotten a lot weirder. But I think that's because that we understand those tropes a lot better. So of course, it's going to mm-hmm. seem extra weird, and especially the voice that we now know that was Agatha. But there's a voice that talks to um, Wanda as she's talking to the camera in the um, a la Modern Family thing. She's like, "Wait, you're not supposed to speak." Yeah. Why are you speaking? <laughs> And then in the song, he goes, it was Agatha. And she has a little director's chair that says Agatha on it. But also, where has she been? Did she just happen to be in Westview and go, hey, here's an opportunity? Um, when um, Wanda hexed it. You know, he, he, here's my thing, right? Is because this character goes back a long way. I mean, I think this. I think the story still remains, unless this continuity is different, right? That like she was one of the original witches in the Salem witch trial, so she goes far, far back, um, and she trained Wano Maximoff and some other stories as well. So uh, maybe it, it, it's hard to tell. It's you know because maybe this is a person that's been looking upon Wanda Maximoff throughout, throughout her life and found kind of the right moment to kind of manipulate her, make her do all this sort of stuff. Um, so, to me, it's it's definitely very interesting to see where they go with this, uh, this show. And, and again, the binge model, um, is, has been overtaking people's kind of thoughts about this show. I saw this, I think it was like an IndieWire article that said, like, you know, the show kind of drags on every episode. We don't get a lot in each episode. I'm just like, that just sounds like a regular TV show, man. Like, um, I feel like, again, we're so used to binging, like, ten episodes at a time that, you know... Again, we, 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 I've known some people that watch the first two episodes and say, like, what is this? This is just a sitcom. Of course it is. It's part of, it's part of, the, it's part of the thing. I don't know. Um, but it's a good show. And when it, where it ranks among just superhero comic book shows in general, it's pretty high in my opinion. I still think that Daredevil show that re- they released on Netflix a while back is number one probably for me still. Uh, but this show's hi- But this show's high up there. So Wait, say it again? Gotham. I like Gotham. Listen, you know me. I'm the DC guy. I love Gotham. I think it's great. <laughs> Um, I love Gotham. I know a lot of people don't like it. I love Gotham, though. I think just just by, by but just by sheer production and like planning alone, the show is probably is absolutely going to beat Gotham. But Gotham was like the perfect twist of ridiculousness. They brought back a character to life twice. <sighs> you can't. I, yeah. In, in the span of like two weeks, it was Gotham was insane. But this, I do think that this show, like, just by just story and plot, and I, and definitely with, definitely giving Elizabeth Olsen the, the, the center of it, of it to her. Because I think there was, like, an interview that was resurfacing of, like, her when she was first cast in Age of Ultron. And she's like, well, the, um, well, the series I'd like to do would be based off the House of M. And we, and, and a lot of theories is that, and I think this is, the show is partially based off of House of M the comic book series but she's getting what she wants and she is clearly having yes she's not having she's not having as much fun as probably as the um Catherine Hahn is playing a ridiculous character but she is I think she's really enjoying what she's doing 
Uh, that's all I really want when I'm watching shows, is I want to watch the actors have fun and enjoy what they're doing. And I think that with um, with some new movies, and even like if you watch like really old movies where you know like the business practices that were happening behind them, and it's like... And this, and this can also tie back with the whole like artist um, owning their own masters. It's like did, you want you want people to have fun while they're making stuff. And if the if the entire time like Taylor Swift had like, especially with Fearless, that she's releasing six whole songs that weren't on the original album, like that's not fair to the artist. And that's why mm-hmm. I think just did the actor have fun is like a very important question for when we're critiquing any sort of media. Is was it fun for them? Because if it wasn't fun for them, then why? Then it, it can't be like entertaining for us, because we're mm-hmm. just gonna be able to see, especially if, it, especially in like live theaters. Like we want to watch the, we want to watch the actors' characters enjoy them. We want to watch the actors enjoy themselves while they're acting, because if it's because it's, it's it's a miserable performance if the actor is miserable. Though of course if they're doing their job right, we will know. Yeah, and that's just my two cents on having fun while you're making art. I love that. I agree. <laughs> I mean, listen, I agree as well. And obviously, um, hopefully more sets will be like that. Again, all these media industries are, they always have those sort of practices that should not be done. And obviously Marvel, it seems like Marvel is kind of getting back to that path where like now you can do the creativity. It will be more fun for them. Again, I, listen, Olsen is having, this is her best performance in the character by far ever. Um, absolutely. Um, she, and obviously, even Paul Bettany has vision too, man. He's doing a lot more uh, than he has been doing in the movies. Because again, even though he's technically a robot, he he's having a very human performance in this show. Um, that again, those the, again, the chemistry between those two is great, and obviously, it's great seeing Evan Peters back uh, as Quicksilver. He's great. But yeah, I is mean, he Quicksilver. I I mean, I think he is. I hope he is. <laughs> he runs fast, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, that should be that should be a clue. Then, well, if, if, if he runs fast as the benchmark, that would make the Flash Quicksilver as well. Well, the Flash is better than Quicksilver, but I'm not even going to talk about that. Tee! That the drama! That should not even be a debate, but we move on. We move on. Wow, look at Marcy. I think I Tommy, just is the, Marcy. Tommy is the best Quicksilver. He's better than the Flash. Who? At only at three days old, oh. he, he could beat the Flash in a fight. <laughs> I, I'm not even going to get into this. If you want this episode <laughs> to be five hours long, then we'll, we can talk, but... <laughs> no, but again, for me, the show's been great, and I'm just hoping that the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the MCU show, kind of afterwards is much better, but Disney Plus has been killing it lately, so... And I hate to say it because I hate Disney, but they've been killing it. Hot take? Hot take. I mean, you've heard it. Re- I mean, Regina Holloway and J.P. Acosta, people that we know, they probably hate my guts listening to this, but I don't care. <laughs> I love that. Are we? So. Is, who's gonna write Thanos a theme song? Because all villains need theme songs now. I don't know. It, the, all, this is what I'm saying. Okay, <laughs> I had to turn my light on because it was getting dark. Um, <laughs> that I, they should stick with this with the villains getting their own score. You know, like obviously, all the major villains in every single superhero movie have the great score by Hans Zimmer, by Alan Silvestri, whoever we want to name. Um, that's why this was different. And hearing a whole theme song <laughs> for her at the end was was absolutely great. And I, I'm just listen the shenanigans that they're that she's gonna go through. I'm just willing. I'm just interested to see how how this is gonna you know have a resolution to this. I I'm trying to think of all. I'm trying to like speculate in my head, but I kind of don't want to. I kind of want to save it for. The stuff like that, and Paul Medney said that there's one more person that's gonna appear on the show that is gonna blow, our, blow our minds away. I don't know what's gonna be, but do we think it's Mephisto? Cause I'm leaning toward no. Everybody's been saying that. I'm just hoping it's not, so that people can cry about it. If I'm being real, but um, that goes ho- for the drama. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know. He, he's he said that the the actor he's been wanting to work with for a while. So maybe that's a hint. I have. No clue what actor he's been wanting to work with, but yeah, if you just like like business practice wise, and I think I think this is in like a film theory done by um uh, Matt Pat on YouTube that they're not going to do Mephisto because they want to keep marketing toward China, and China does not like depictions of Satan. I have a theory. Maybe this actor can either be Ian McKellen or Michael Fassbender, the character they both played, Magneto, Ooh. which is obviously Wanda's father. 
Uh, well, not in this MC universe. I don't know, but if they if they want to do this multiverse stuff, I think this would be a great way to do it. And I, I love both of those actors, and that'll be great to see. But I think we could. I mean, any last words from any of you for, to, to wrap this up? I'm. I can't wait to watch the episode. I'm, by the way, now. I'm sorry. Um, I mean, you have to just hear I'm every so spoiler sorry. stuff. Okay. I mean. It's okay. I literally did not watch it because I give Dakota so much flack for watching it, like, without me. Because the thing is, he'll be like, yeah, I watched it, but then we'll watch it again together. And I'm like, I want to be surprised with you, but I'm not going to tell him that you spoiled it for me. I'll be like, (laughs) he'll be like, how's the podcast? He'll be like, great. What'd you talk about? about? Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing at all. <laughs> we talked about Taylor Swift and um three Jews. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Four Jews. Five. Technically. Five. <laughs> there we go. We we count Trina <laughs> in it. Oh, mm-hmm. was March of the Falsettos like crazy when you when you watched it? Yes. Yes. Oh my god, I loved it. I loved that part so oh, much. There's a part it's it's in bet- it's um a song in between Trina's song. In which she's singing about how she doesn't, she hates men. She doesn't sing about how she hates men, but how like men are the bane of her existence. And then, in the, mm-hmm. and then it interrupts her by all four male characters coming out in little kid out, out costumes with hats that look little twirly things <laughs> in complete backlight, and they all sing in the highest pitch voice they can ma- they can muster, and it is terrifying. <laughs> I loved it. I loved, I loved every second of it. Especially, I think there was a video that I that I watched, and it was just like every time they named the title of the song in the song, and it was just literally like a <laughs> increasing intensity of March with the falsettos, March with the falsettos, March with the falsettos. Mortifying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was terrifying. And then Trina comes back. He was like, "Excuse me." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Hannah, go watch Monovision. Zach, watch um, watch the Falsettos now. Um, and I'll I'll, I'll find something else. I'll I'll listen to the original. Uh, look on, look up your uh, Taylor Swift uh, theories yes. on TikTok. Not the QAnon, not the QAnon <laughs> ones, but the QAnon, the QAnon Taylor Swift. <laughs> We're almost getting to Five Nights at Freddy's level of. of I, yeah. I yeah. 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 Didn't brighten the image of the announcement yet. Have we done that? <laughs> oh my god, Hannah, why did you do that? Oh my god. <laughs> I had oh to. <laughs> oh man. Um, Alright, I guess that's a good wrapping up point. Yeah. Woo, we've been going for a while. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll try to edit it down. So I think <laughs> okay. everything in here was golden content that should never be removed. Um, so I'm Marcy Wilder, I'm the web editor. You can find me on Twitter at Marcy J. Wilder. Um, and also um, in articles on the University Press and in our newsletter. Um, I'm Hannah Shimko, uh, uh, station manager for FAU Owl Radio. Jeez, it's getting late. Uh, you can find me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, both Hannah Shimko. Uh, and I also have a show on Owl Radio every Friday, 3 to 4 p.m. My name is Zachary Weinberger. I'm a staff writer for the University Press. Uh, my Twitter's at Zach Weinberger, Zach with an H, W-E-I-N-B-R-G-E-R. Um, I have a lot of podcasts and a lot of writing gigs as well, so you can just find myself there. Uh, got a freelancing gig for uh, The Forward. We talk about Jewish people. Hey, listen, The Forward, Jewish publication, freelancing there, so check out my stuff. Um, but, yeah, and that's it for me. So, again, University Press, I do write uh, the reviews also for Marcy's newsletter, which has been awesome every, every couple weeks. So, definitely check out that. Oh, and um, Thanks, today, um, when this airs on All Radio, our first online print issue for the University Press will be out. Nice. Yeah, we did it. But that'll be all from us, and we will see you in the next podcast. Bye-bye. Bye!